Hi, this is the Good Gym Guide podcast. My name's Guy Lockhead. I'm a personal trainer and weightlifting coach working in Bristol. I believe most gyms are designed to serve their owners, not their users, and that the current dominant culture of fitness excludes huge numbers of people. In 2016, I started the first cooperatively run gym in the UK, Bristol Cooperative Gym, to try to offer an alternative to this. In this podcast, I'll be talking to other people working in the fringes of the fitness industry to critique the mainstream gym model from various perspectives, hear about their work and explore their dream training environment. This first episode is with Peter Hodkinson. Peter produces beautiful wooden training equipment as used in movement traditions from all over the world. Clubs from India, meals, maces and sang shields from Persia, Tai Chi balls from China. He's travelled widely to experience some of these methods in their place of origin and he talks about how this has affected his approach to his own training and to the classes and workshops he leads at home in Bradford-on-Avon. We spent a lot of time talking about the mental side of training too, drawing on his experience studying and teaching Qigong in China and with a Sulkido master in London. I'll be back at the end to reflect on the episode and tell you how you can train with Peter and see some of the amazing things he makes. Until then, enjoy. I don't think there is an imaginary perfect gym. I think there is a perfect attitude, and that is being uh, creative in, in what you see around you and how it can be used to um, to, to work out. Uh, you know, pull-up bars. You know, what's wrong with a low-lying, you know, fairly horizontal tree branch? You won't find many horizontal ones, but hey, just turn around and face the other way, and the other hand will do more work. Likewise, I've seen some great um, club moves out there where people have just found a piece of driftwood and um, and use it as a as a guard or a mace. Uh, some people have actually hand um, you know whittled, if you like, their own their own makeshift clubs. And we're pretty much going back to um, you know primal um, you know fitness here. And um, what we've done over the uh, years since then is just sort of um, hold the techniques and how to use them. I'm honoured to sort of uh, train with a guy in Bath, Tom Crudgington, and he's been trained by a top Iranian um, uh, Palavani wrestler. And he has shown him so much of his knowledge that he uh, that Tom now employs today. And he doesn't go all straight out into showing people, um, you know, the, the crazy stuff. It's there, but um, he will have you doing simple stuff. Always simple. Keep it nice. Keep it neat. Palvani, House of Strength, if you like. Um, is, is it, it has its roots back in the 13th century, I believe, from when the Mongol Empire was um, spreading out um, uh, and into Persia. And I understand the suppressed peoples at the time were not allowed to carry any weapons with them. So they then devised what we see today as the seven disciplines. Um, and it's been ingrained in their society for so long that it's, it's a, a spiritual, cultural uh, angle on their training. 
the setup there is 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 very sort of um, clear, and there's usually a circular um, lowered pit where groups of men will get together and, and practice these seven disciplines. Outside, you will have a guy who will be chanting um, and playing a uh, percussion rhythmical, rhythmical percussion instrument that they will then cast their clubs to in that same speed of, 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 of the music. The chanting that is going on as well is sort of ingraining in, in them their sort of uh, development, their journeys. I've, um, you know, been introduced to uh, three of these disciplines. Um, you know, the meals, the Shena push-up boards, um, and more recently, uh, the Sang shields. And these uh, shields are uh, very, um, uh, barely known outside of the, um, uh, outside of Iran. And, um, but they are amazing tool which I can see coming more into the Western world the more they discover what benefits they can bring. Um, it's like all these tools, they're a leverage, a leverage away from your regular grip. Um, it doesn't take a heavy weight, it just takes a bit of leverage to create the same kind of torque that you might get with a kettlebell. I've had so many people come and buy these clubs from me in the past thinking a five kilo um, you know, make, which you know, makes a 10 kilo pair, uh, five kilos in each club is going to be um, too light for them because they're used to a 16 kilo kettlebell. But as soon as you, uh, they, they start to try and learn some of these dynamic moves, they come back and say, can I have a lighter one? Recently, I uh, had on a second visit to India, I um, went to Varanasi, knowing that there are still a few remaining um, training spaces called Akaras uh, that have been around for um, a very long time, at least to uh, uh, since the 13th century. Um, these spaces are, are set up in, in such a way which are uh, very sacred. Uh, people who go to train uh, will turn up very early in the morning. Um, I don't know if that's, I don't know why that is. It could be because of the, the, the high uh, temperatures over, over there. And so they go in the cooler hours of the morning and later in the evening. When they first arrive, they will take the shoes off. They will bow to the deity. Um, whoever that may be, quite often it will be Hanuman, um, who is uh, a god of strength and power and uh, carries a, a short single-handed mace in one hand. Um, and, and that is kind of an emblem of, of power in, in India. These Akras tend to be um, all up and, up and around the Ganges. Um, and, and the one, the main one that I went to each, each morning was where I was staying um, and it's Tulsi Ghat. And a ghat is like an access point to, uh, to, the, to the river itself. So in the evenings you would see uh, lots of religious um, uh, chanting and things going on. Uh, in the mornings then it tend to be um, uh, you know, the, the working out in the Accra.
there's always respect for the elders there as well, which is something that we might not have quite as much of in the uh, in the Western world. But um, there is something in the Eastern world where, whether it's uh, yoga or martial arts, or in Indian akaras, that the 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 grey-haired old man is the person that people go to if they need to know something. It's, it's great to see people of of different ages. All males, I must admit, though I know more recently, more recent years, um, females are, have been admitted to these uh, akras. In fact, there's a great movie called Dangal, D-A-N-G-A-L, which is all about a guy, um, an Indian guy, who was a, a, a national wrestling champion, trained in the akras, and um, wanted his sons to follow suit. Uh, but he didn't have any sons. He had daughters. And um, the film is uh, this uh, biography of him and his daughters and how he trained them. Uh, they weren't allowed into these akras, but he, so, he, so he built his own in a local field and trained them. And um, eventually they grew up and um, became uh, international champions. I love seeing these guys um, going through their warm-ups, going through their um, workouts, and then preparing um, a, a sort of what I would describe as a, a five-meter square sandpit, uh, ready for the evening's uh, wrestling bouts. Uh, the pre preparation of this is just this sand-based ground, which they spread or spray water or even milk sometimes on it to get the right consistency and then they've got this man-powered um, plow that sort of drags a piece of wood along to sort of flatten the ground after it's been tilled by a, 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 a just a, an old handheld till so dragging somebody else around on the back of the plow is part of the workout as well you know they don't need an oxen they just need a strong person and that again is you know getting fit, preparing the, um, the, uh, the, the space for the fight. I love their, their attitude towards um, yeah, practicing in gyms. They have such great resourcefulness. And um, you know, I, I make and sell uh, Shena push-up boards, um, but they would just use a pair of bricks. It works. When I go into a space, um, I, I, I feel a warmth or I feel a welcome or not. Um, and something, and sometimes it will, it will be just lacking in everything. And one such gym I've, I've been to is, is one where the actual owners are not around. You join a membership. Yes, it's cheap. You can use the kit whenever you like, but there's no one else there to um, report to, to ask questions of, you're on your own. And I think a lot of people will just walk in there and unless they're extremely disciplined, will struggle in a place like that. It's, it felt empty. From my meditative background, I feel an energy of a space. And I feel whether it feels right or not without being able to put it into words. Different 
um, places I've trained have been quite varied. Uh, there was the uh, obviously the place or places in London, Centre Point, which was a um, part of a, a, a gym type uh, situation, and there was lots of people doing other things at the time all around us. Um, soon after that, um, Grandmaster Kim, our ninth Dan Korean um, guru, I suppose, he found a, a space in Caledonian Road, and um, that was just a bespoke space for um, Sulkido martial arts and nothing else. From then, it just felt totally right. Um, you know, an, an energy has to be cultivated, uh, just like, say, monks in a monastery would do over thousands of years. Once a space is made for a certain um, usage, then it, it just seems to start to fit and grow into that, um, that, that, that way as well. When I was learning to teach Tsurung Qigong in China, something that was very important to me um, was the fact that they were very clear that if you are in the space teaching a group of people, you should be constantly thinking about them just as much as thinking about the, the movements you are doing physically and mentally and energetically all the time. So you are holding that space. And it feels in a way that all those people in the same space are plates that you are spinning. And each one is rotating at a different rate. So that responsibility then sharpens your own act on knowing what you are teaching very quickly. Um, but it also merges everybody into one collaborative um, focus group. I do have, a, I suppose, a, a spiritual theme in my practice. And um, I, I feel very blessed to have been um, in the right place at the right time when I was learning um, Sulkido in London. Um, I had a very high level martial arts teacher who was um, uh, Swiss, German Swiss, living in London with his Irish wife. And um, when I reached uh, my first grade black belt, he began to introduce me to um, Qigong. He used to sort of teach us in, at his house, at a, and then a small group of us would practice in a space that he found, and we'd go there, um, you know, on, on uh, weekly uh, visits to uh, to do this. On top of that, he would give us feedback, almost like counselling, in where we were in our own sort of mental states. And I just can go back to these notes that I took at the time, and just thought the the stuff that he was talking about was mind blowing. And it was just all about self-development, self-improvement, um, removing the ego, um, but becoming dedicated in whatever you want to do. And it's a mentality that you can then put into any area of your life. You know, say if you're, if you're just sort of in the kitchen and cooking, you put your energy into it, you put your positivity into it. The result is something far better. It's too easy to sort of pay your money and then expect results. Um, 
results only come from what we put into, um, uh, uh, what we personally put into it. And I think having that traditional martial arts attitude into respecting the the, the space, so you take your shoes off, you bow, and um, you are there for a purpose. Uh, you are not there to socialise. I mean, some people go to gyms to sort of meet new people. Well, that's cool, that's all right. But it's not the reason for being there. That is something that I've brought into my physical training um, and think that it's, it's really helped me um, and hope it's helped me in, in ways that it's designed. Um, a lot of martial arts in China, martial artists in China, tend to go on having longer careers in their physical training if they work alongside in uh, Qigong meditative style, uh, methods. These methods are going to be able to relax their bodies um, as well as their minds. So it removes the clutter, it removes the tension from their shoulders. It allows them to switch off all of these different components of the body and become relaxed. I invite anybody, encourage anybody to find someone local to where they are who can help them in, in, um, in that kind of a journey. Put them together with physical, cultural training and mindful Qigong meditative training, I think it's just an amazing combination. You've got pure yin and pure yang that will keep you going for a much longer period. I do have certain rituals, if you like, but it's just in remembering who my teachers of the past were. And when I enter a space, if I go into it and take their energy with it, it kind of feels like you're getting a superpower. It's a great way to to sort of to, to begin whatever practice you're doing because you have a very different clear mindset. You know, if you just sort of say to yourself, I wonder what it would feel like to practice like a master, and then you start your practice, very different things will come out from it from, hey, here I am, it's a warm day, the sun's out, I think I'll go and uh, swing my clubs. so much to Peter. Our conversation made me think a lot of things about the ritual aspects of entering and preparing training spaces or how that's missing, um, about how many conventional gyms really separate mind and body and this is something that's actually popped up a lot in um, other interviews I've done as well. And also about uh, ideas of lineage and heritage, indigenous movement traditions and danger of a sort of monoculture of, of movement and of fitness it made me think like what would the English or British equivalents be um, made me think of cudgel play bring back cudgel play uh, back swording instead of body pump catch as catch can wrestling there are lots of options 
ripe for rediscovery. It also made me think about cultural attitudes towards age and training for longevity and about how important our relationships with our coaches and mentors can be, but how we tend to have to pay a premium for that over here. Peter sent some really amazing photos from his travels in Varanasi, so I'll put them up on the episode page at thegoodgymguide.co.uk and you can also find links to his website there, just Body Mind Fit and some of the other things um, he mentioned in the episode. So thanks so much again to Peter. Um, thanks also to Yaz Clark for production support and to Steph Weiss for the graphic design. Next time we'll have a, a wonderful interview with Devaki from Curvy Girl Yoga. We'll hear about her experience of mainstream gyms, how she's nurtured a brilliant community of women size 16 or more who practice yoga, and her beautiful vision of a gym by a lake. See you there.